We are in the fifth part of a sermon series on the renewal of work. And in this series, we are seeing how our work, each of our work, whatever it is that we do, how our work fits into God's plan for redemption. And this week, we're going to be looking at the theme of rebuilding. Now, rebuilding is both a macro theme and a micro theme. At a macro level, after the creation and after the fall, and after Christ redeemed us through his death and resurrection, we are all called to participate in the rebuilding of this world till Christ comes again, to make this world perfect and beautiful once again. So in a macro sense, from the time of the resurrection of Christ Jesus till his second coming, we are all living in one long season of rebuilding a broken world. But in a more micro sense, here and now, and I are facing in this very season. And one of the very real tensions that we all face in this micro season of rebuilding is simply this. How much time do I give to my work and how much time do I give to church? Now, obviously, I'm not neglecting family here. I'm assuming that all of us agree that family is absolutely important. And right now, in the season of rebuilding, when, when the economy is slowly trying to get back, when each of the companies that we work for, the businesses that we run, are slowly trying to claw its way back out of, of, out, of a, out of a recession, all of us are going to be under pressure to work, work, and work. And even as, as, as Pemia was sharing, it's a very real pressure. So in the light of that context, how much time do I give to my work and how much time do I give to church? This is a tension that we must resolve if we are to go about rebuilding this broken world in a, in a healthy and a sustainable manner. And that's a question that I'd like to wrestle with, together with all of us this morning. And so we're going to look, be looking at a Bible passage um, where God's people faced a very similar tension. But before we read the passage for today, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. Before we read that, allow me to give us some background. So even if this is your very first time in a church, even if you've never read the Bible, you're able to track with us as the story unfolds this morning. God chose the nation of Israel to be part of his people. And in his good plan, God chose to bring Jesus Christ as the savior of the world through this nation of Israel. Until Jesus was born, God was leading and blessing this people. But this special people, this special nation, often rebelled against God. And God, in his great love, disciplined this nation quite often. At one time, hundreds of years ago, this discipline was, came in the form of almost all the people of Jerusalem uh, being carried away in exile to Babylon when the king of Babylon conquered Jerusalem. When this happened... God even allowed the temple that King Solomon had built a few hundred years before that to be destroyed. And so 70 years after the exile, when God brought his people back from Babylon, 
into Jerusalem once again, they were all called to a season of rebuilding. They had to rebuild the nation. They had to rebuild the economy, which was in ruins. And they had to rebuild the, they had to rebuild the temple. That's the background for the passage. Allow me to read the passage for us. It's going to come for us on the screen as well. Uh, Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by, hand, by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of, the host, Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bags, into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you besees yourself himself with his house. This is God's word. Well, let's admit it. This, this kind of sounds scary. Uh, it even kind of sounds condemning. It, it almost makes us squirm in our, in our seats. If, we, if you read this passage quickly and ca casually, we, you're very likely to come to the conclusion that God is saying that church is more important than work. But that hasty interpretation would be wrong. That's not at all what this passage is saying. And I, want to, I wanted to highlight that up front. And so to fully understand what this passage is saying, allow me to draw three things out for us from this passage. First, how we distort God's call to work. Second, the gradual progression of this distortion. And third, how God still uses feeble people. How we distort God's call to work, the gradual progression of this distortion, and how God still uses feeble people. Let's start with the first one, how we distort God's call to work. Look at verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. This is a reminder of the curse of sin that we saw last week. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it. Work became toil. We did not get the fruit that the labor deserves. But God is also pointing to a specific sin his people were guilty of at the time of Haggai. And that's the last part of verse 9. My house, that is God's temple, lies in ruins while each of you besees himself with his own house. This passage, and in fact the rest of the Bible, does not say that church is more important than work. But this passage and the rest of the Bible does say that a selfish, a purely selfish preoccupation of, with our work at the expense 
of a sacrificial serving, of at least some sacrificial serving in the church and in the city is futile. It's not only wrong, but it's also futile. Look at the last part of verse 6. He who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. All our work is wasted. Doesn't give us the reward we like. What, what futility. A, a selfish preoccupation with work at the expense of at least some sacrificial serving in the church and in the city is wrong and it's futile. futile. But hey, I will be the last person to stand here and, and moralize and preach. I'll be the last person because I remember what my life was like. I still remember in my early 30s when I was just so obsessed with my career, so obsessed with this fierce ambition of becoming the editor of a business magazine that I spent an entire year without ever going to church. I was just too busy. You see, I, I would pray to Jesus when I needed something from him, but, but I was just too busy to, to offer him my worship and, and my love. And, and so I'll be the last person to judge or, or, or stand here and moralize and preach because I've committed this folly and I know it's futility. Even now, I want to be honest and say I struggle in so many ways in putting Christ first in my life. And there's a song that we all sing so often at New City, Christ is enough for me. And, and I, I sing that song very well, to the best of my ability. But I don't think I live that song very well. I don't think I'm living my life as if Christ is enough. So, so, so I'm struggling too. And so this temptation, especially in the season of rebuilding, as we come back into work, this temptation to selfishly pursue a personal career success and not being mindful of God's calling to the local church and the city is just so strong. This temptation to be consumed with our work is so real. Let's go back to the book of Haggai. Let me help us visualize what these people would have actually experienced. You know, they spent 70 years in, in forced exile and captivity in, ba captivity in Babylon, and they've just returned to Jerusalem. And as they walked in, they found the city was ruined. All the farms uh, were, in, were full of weeds. Maybe their homes were, were in shambles. Uh, there was no sheep or cattle in the pens. The economy would have been in, in ruins. All the supermarkets would have been shut. We also know from the other books in the Bible that the walls of Jerusalem were broken. That means the any enemy nation could attack them anytime. Can you imagine what these people would have gone through? They would have been afraid of today. They would have been afraid of tomorrow. They would have been afraid of their very future. They would have been anxious and, and, and faced with the overwhelming task of rebuilding an entire city. They would have just retreated and focused on building their homes first, making sure they're safe, they're secure. You, you can't blame them for forgetting to build God's temple, can you? This is exactly how sin lies to us. Sin makes us believe that our destiny is entirely in our own hands. Sin makes us shut out God out of the rebuilding equation. 
sin makes us selfish. Sin makes us self-reliant instead of being God-dependent. So where we all find ourselves now in the, in the aftermath of the, of the COVID pandemic is kind of similar to what God's people were facing when they had just come back from exile. They had to rebuild just as we are called to rebuild right now. And so the temptation to focus only on our careers, to be consumed on our careers, to rebuild only our careers is quite strong. And, and I guess this is how sin distorts God's original call for work. God's original call for work was not just about our prosperity. God's call for work is not just about our success. It's not just about us, each of us, living to our full potential and, and actualizing our full potential. It's not just about that. God's work was all about also building and living in a community of interdependence. God's blessed each and every one of us with unique gifts and we're called to serve one another. And it is in the serving of one another with the unique gifts that each of us have that God planned for humanity to, to flourish. So that's the first thing I wanted to draw for us from this passage, that in a season of rebuilding, we're all going to be tempted to be consumed with our work. We're all going to be tempted to distort God's plan for work into a pure and merely selfish calling. That's the first thing I wanted to draw for us from the passage. The second thing is the gradual progression of this distortion. Hey, guy the prophet we are looking at this morning, was not writing to an unfaithful people. He was writing to a faithful people who had gradually lost their way. I think this is, this is going to really come home to our heart. This is so relevant to us. So allow me to just take a minute to give a little bit more of the historical context so we really understand the story of what was happening to God's people at the time of Haggai, the prophet. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he invaded Israel and he took Jerusalem captive. And then there were many kings who succeeded him. After him, King Cyrus of Persia, he conquered the Babylonian kingdom. And, and King Cyrus, when he took over, he allowed God's people to return from Babylon to Jerusalem. And he asked them to build God's temple. Not only did he ask them to build, rebuild God's temple, he also funded the building, the rebuilding of God's temple. We see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And so after King Cyrus gave this command, one group of about 50,000 people, and this was a small minority of the number of people who were taken in exile, a small minority returned to Jerusalem. This was a small but faithful minority. And at that point in time, a lot of people of Israelites who had gone to, who were taken captive in Babylon, decided to stay back there. You know what? Life was a lot more comfortable in Babylon than, was, than it was in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was in shambles. Jerusalem was in ruins. The economy was dead. But Babylon was flourishing. So only a few people returned. And these were faithful people. The majority chose to ignore God's call to come back to Jerusalem. They ignored God's call. 
even though king cyrus himself had issued a command to go back and rebuild they chose to stay back with their successful businesses or whatever else they may have they may have so only a few true and faithful happened when they started building the temple rebuilding the temple they began to face a lot of opposition and they got disheartened by the opposition they got disheartened by the persecution and they became afraid and they just withdrew into their own homes and they forgot god's calling to rebuild the city to rebuild the temple they lost their way they gave up and over time they just became comfortable with their own lives so from the time they came back from the time they laid the foundation of god's temple till the time when hegai started speaking to god's people there was a gap of 15 years and so for 15 years they were just comfortable so for 15 years these people who were initially faithful to god lost their way these people who were initially so faithful and so daring and so full of faith these people who had a vision for jerusalem these people who had a passion for god's kingdom who had a passion for god's church for god's temple they were the minority who came not the people who stayed behind behind in comfort but even this people who had a vision over 15 years they got sucked into comfort and began living in plush paneled homes as this passage tells us and they forgot to rebuild god's temple so hegai was not writing to unfaithful people who stayed back in babylon but hegai was writing to faithful people to people who had a vision for people who were willing to step out in faith at great cost to themselves people who left babylon and came to jerusalem and began to rebuild temple god's temple but just somewhere lost the way and just got so comfortable that they lost their vision hegai was not writing to unfaithful people hegai was writing to faithful people who lost their vision the deceit of sin is so silent the deceit of sin is so stealthy that it is so gradual that we don't even realize it sin deludes us with comfort sin blurs our vision sin numbs our sense of god's calling on our lives do you see the tragedy of god's people in hegai's time the faithful had become faithless those who were called had lost their vision those who came with excitement to rebuild god's temple ended up living in selfish comfort and plush homes for 15 long years what a sad story what a sad story i like to draw two applications from this first for my own heart and then for all of us too the first application that we can learn from this look back and repent look back and repent you see it is not a lack of resources or skill that stop people from rebuilding the temple 
they just got so used to comfort. It was a sin of selfish comfort that slowly and stealthily lured them away from God's call to rebuild the temple. As we look back at the lockdown, hey, I have to say that most of us, and I'll speak for myself first, we were comfortable. I'm not saying, don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying we do not have hardships, nor am I trivializing the hardships we faced. No, those hardships were very real. We, we suffered, we suffered emotionally. We, we suffered in many ways. I'm not trivializing that. But despite all of that, we are a privileged people. We were comfortable. We, we cannot deny that in so many ways, we, we were still comfortable. Most of us, we still have our jobs. And, and hey, admit it, most of us during the lockdown, we could wake up whenever we wanted to. Most of us, at least. <laughs> most of us, and I would say all of us, we had Wi-Fi through the lockdown. So we could, we could plug into Netflix whenever we wanted to for as long as we wanted to uh, through all that. So we did have some comfort. And, and, and guess what? None of us had to drive to work on traffic on, or, you know, or you know, cross the Elphinstone Bridge, God forbid, or, or take the trains. None of us had to do that. So at one level, we were all comfortable. Again, I'm not minimizing our, our hardship, but we were comfortable. Did that comfort, has that comfort distracted us from our calling? If so, we need to look back and repent. That's the first application. The second application is look forward and persevere. Look forward and persevere. The faithful Israelites, they left the comfort of Babylon to come build God's temple. They faced persecution. They faced hardship. They faced disappointment. At one point, if you read the book of Haggai, you will see they were just so deeply disappointed. They were just heartbroken because the new temple that they were rebuilding looked like rags in the light of the glory of the former temple. It, it, looked, it was shambles. It was just so bad. It was pathetic compared to the beauty and the glory and the splendor of the temple that had been destroyed. And, and God addresses this in Haggai chapter 2, verse 3. This is, this is what God says. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So these people were discouraged. But God encouraged them. Again, in Haggai chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, be strong. Be strong, be strong, God repeats it. And then he says, work, for I am with you. Work, for I am with you. And so just as God is calling us to look back and repent, God is also calling us to look forward and persevere. The coming weeks, the coming ones may not be easy. Our work may, may only get more harder. The economy may, may not recover as, as much as we'd like to. The church may not grow as much as we'd like it to grow. And, and those of us who are serving in so many ways this morning, there's a team of almost 15 people who came to set up and serve in so many ways. And as we serve, we might get discouraged. And I may feel discouraged. But God is reminding us right now. God is strengthening us right now. He is saying, work for I am with you. 
And this is true of his call on our lives to rebuild our church, rebuild our work, rebuild our careers, rebuild the companies that we work for, rebuild the businesses God has called us to run, and rebuild the city God has called us to live in. Now, I want to be honest here. Sometimes Aji and I, we, we get discouraged. We get discouraged a lot. You know, we get discouraged a lot. We go through so many seasons of discouragement when, when we see, I wish New City was flourishing and growing more than it is. I wish there were more people. I wish we had more people who, who would come and explore Jesus and come to faith in Jesus. We do get discouraged. But in such moments of discouragement, I find great comfort and strength in the way John Piper, a pastor, in the way he sums up the book of Haggai. He sums up the book of Haggai in one simple sentence. He says, take courage, you build more than you can see. Take courage, you build more than you can see. This is true, not just of the church. This is true of your work and mine too. When we work unto God, the small things that our bosses may not notice or, or our teammates may not give us credit for, all those small things matter. They count in eternity in God's plans and God will reward us for every one of those. The things that we may not think are very con consequential, the, the nice small gestures as Pemia was, uh, was sharing, the nice gesture of, of when someone struggles in a, struggling in a project just to be alongside and, 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 and support and encourage and just be there and empathize rather than criticize and judge. None of those gestures are going to be forgotten in, in, a, in, in the eternity. And even in a church kind of a context, look around us. We are so few of us in so big a hall. It's so easy to get discouraged. But God will look at us and say, you're building more than you can see. So if you're serving in any way, and even now if God's putting your heart to desire to serve, you are building more than you can see. This is always the way of the gospel. And that brings us to the last thing that I'd like to close with. How God still uses feeble people. How God still uses feeble people. You know, when we first read this passage from Haggai, when it talked about, oh, all of you, you're living in comfortable homes when God's church and God's temple is in ruins. Uh, when you heard that, it, it, it kind of sounded scary. Didn't it kind of sound condemning? We were almost squirming in our seats. You know, I, I have to be honest, I hesitated a lot before picking this passage to preach. Because I don't want to come across as condemning. I don't want anyone to feel guilty. I don't want anyone to feel shame because that's not the way of the gospel. And then I, I went to another passage. I'll be honest here. I went to another passage. I went to Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. And did some work on that, but I felt God was drawing me back to this passage. And, but as I spent more and more time on this passage, I began to see the beauty in this passage, the great grace of God in this passage. And so perhaps even as I struggled with this passage, perhaps you felt you were a failure as, as, I, read, as I was reading these verses. Perhaps you were convicted of your own unfaithfulness. Perhaps you were convicted of your own addiction to comfort. Perhaps our failures during the lockdown came back to taunt us. Perhaps Haggai's words pierced our hearts 
with our own failures and with our own unfaithfulness. Hey, but this story does not end in shame. This story has a happy ending. This story has an ending that overflows with grace and hope and joy. I guess we all know that the second temple was actually built and completed because Jesus talks about the second temple. The second temple that was completed stayed till Jesus was alive. It was there when Jesus was alive hundreds of years later. But do you, do you know who completed the rebuilding of the second temple? Can you take a guess who completed the rebuilding of the second temple? The very same people who dwelt in plush paneled homes while God's temple lay in ruins, these very people, they repented and they moved again in faith to finish rebuilding God's temple. We read in Ezra chapter 6 that God's people repented when Haggai bought this word, this passage that we just read out this morning. When Haggai bought this word, God's people repented. They, they moved in faith. They shook away their comfort and they successfully built and dedicated God's temple. This is the beauty of God's grace. This is the power of God's grace. Jesus is not a God who discards unfaithful people. Jesus is not a God who rejects failures or faithless people. Not at all. Jesus is a God who redeems unfaithful people. He transforms us. He makes us count. Jesus did not die and rise again from the dead for good people who could do good on their own. Not at all. He died for unfaithful people like you and I who can never become good unless God makes us good by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed to atone for our sins. This is the beauty of Jesus. He transforms messed up and unfaithful people. And so if you've struggled through the lockdown, may Philippians 1.6 offer you encouragement. God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This story does not end in shame and failure and condemnation. This story ends with hope, joy, and grace. The unfaithful people, God redeemed them, God worked in them, and they rebuilt God's, God's temple. And so this morning, as I read the passage, if you felt any shame at, at Haggai's words, if you felt any guilt, do not run away from Christ Jesus. Run toward him. Will you recommit yourself today to rebuild God's church, God's city? You can serve. How is God calling you to serve the church? How is God calling you to serve the city? How is God calling you to serve the people in your workplace? Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We worship you, Lord. We exalt you. And, and Lord, we see shades of ourselves. We, we see shades of our story in the story of your people when Haggai 
spoke these words. And uh, we repent. Uh, but we repent not in shame. We repent in hope, Lord. Knowing your goodness, your love, your mercy, Lord. Is constantly drawing us back to you. And so we pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Would you help us to come back to you? And would you help us rebuild well, Lord? Help us to rebuild in our careers that you've called us to. In a godly way, not in a selfish way. Help us to rebuild the city, your cities you've called us to live in. And help us, Lord, to rebuild your church. Serve and rebuild your church. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Help us to always remember that your blood speaks a better word. Your blood does not condemn us, but your blood speaks a better word. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.